In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now it has returned. years ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Who's there? The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. We're all cursed. Some water getting here, but something awful cold, Dana. I think I'll go to Vancouver now. Fog now. Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door. Someone listen to me. Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. Creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Leigh as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. Hi, this is Adrienne Barbeau, and you're listening to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. My next guest is an author and an actor whose filmography includes Escape from New York, The Fog, Creep Show, Swamp Thing, Back to School, The Cannonball Run, Mod, so many more. Such a eclectic and elite talent. Adrian Barbeau, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, Adrian, I got to tell you, I've been on a bit of an Adrian Barbeau kick as far as listening to interviews you've done, listening to uh, from from Carson to things were that were done in 2022, and I I like what people ask you. I think it's eclectic, but I'm going to open up in a different way because 
I'm being a little selfish as a father here, okay? So I had my first child about a year and a half ago. I'm 48 now. And uh, we're planning on having another one. And I know you have three wonderful children that you absolutely adore. And, I really do. <laughs> yes. And, and one of my favorite photos of you, by the way, is um, you're at your uh, one of your sons, or if not both of their commencement, college commencement. It's just like, that's where I want to be with my daughter. Like, it's just I, for a lot of reasons. I, I love that photo. Uh, let me ask you, is there, is there a difference? Because I know you have three wonderful children. You had one earlier. You had one around where I am now as far as age goes. Um, did you find that because as an older parent, I deal with a lot of anxiety, right? I want to be with her at the college commencement. I want to be with her at all the wonderful moments. Is there an advantage for you having two kids later in life like I did versus having one earlier? Did you find that you learned something along the way? And and, and I'm sorry to open up with a personal question, but I'm, like I said, I'm being selfish and I'm, I'm dying to hear your answer. Was there an advantage to the best part about having Cody first and having the twins second is that I got to experience being the mom of a single child first, mm. which meant mm. I was on the floor playing Legos and I was, you know, we were just doing everything together. When you have twins, um, they sort of entertain each other. <laughs> and I was so glad that I had had the first one first. And so that I knew what that was. And, and truly the fact that they came so much later in life, there was a benefit to, uh, not having to be on the floor with them all the time because they wanted to be together. I don't know if that answered it, but, um, it does, it does. And, and let me be clear. Like it wasn't just like college, but I want to be there for her, her, her key moments, her big achievements, moments that she wants me there. So there's parts of me because you've done it so well. I mean, you're just a, a wonderful person, a wonderful parent. I just want to be there for her. So I feel like my my question for my first one was certainly selfish, but whatever moments she wants me there, I want to be there for. Yes. Oh, yes. So, But, you know, and I've been very fortunate because I've made it this long and, um, and I have been able to be there for everything. Yeah, and there's a lot you've done along the way. And, you know, speaking of of, of motherhood and parenthood, uh, I, I feel like you had one hell of a mother. I mean, she was just an amazing person, right? Um, just this person that, like, drove you places and was supportive and this work ethic that was through the roof, my goodness gracious, um, as your grandmother had the same work ethic. Have I described your mother accurately, Adrian? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, not just my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, all of them. They It was uh, very, very strong to a certain extent. My mother, certainly, to, to a great extent, independent. I mean, she she went against the family, really, in, in marrying outside of, uh, you know, she didn't marry an Armenian. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in those days, that was, uh, you know... That wasn't something everybody was jumping up and down about. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when my mother my mother passed when she was 81 years old, she was working four jobs. I mean, two or three of them were volunteer, but that's even more. Wow. You know? but, uh, she, and I, and I think that's come down to me. I, I, there's a, a, there's a, a fulfillment 
in the days when there is something to be accomplished, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, I certainly enjoy the days when, oh, I don't have a lot to do today. I'll, I can, I can sit and read or I can study my Japanese or something like that. But I, I love to work. I never loved to work more than I love the kids. The kids right. always and still do came first. And I was able, fortunately, to do both, you know, but, but, but they came first. I mean, there were certain things, for instance, when, when, uh, my first son, when Cody, uh, was born, I, I had to make the specific decision that I wasn't going to move to New York to do Broadway again because his dad was here in L.A. Uh, you know, I didn't want to do a, a two-character vi- uh, t- taped TV series because that was 14 hours a day, five days a week, or and uh, so that wasn't interesting to me. What I, what I wanted to do was be a mom and, and work the other stuff around it. And I've been very lucky to be able to do that. Adrian, which makes your filmography that much more impressive, right? So if I never knew your personal life and I was just looking at your filmography, I'm like, wow, this is phenomenal. But then when I hear how seriously you've taken motherhood, and not all people do, not just motherhood, but parenthood in general, um, it's pretty impressive what you put together and the type of mother you ended up being. I mean, that's just, to me, that just speaks volumes. I try. (laughs) Yeah. and and. Yeah, and, and you know, um, we, we talk, I want to talk about how you started for those that are, are listening for the first time, hearing your story for the first time. Um, you know, you started out uh, live theater. Uh, your first paying job is um, Southeast Asia, um, entertaining the military. Uh, any homesickness there for you on that end, um, Adrian? Any, any homesickness? Go. I mean, I, I want to say this is right out of high school in, in that vicinity. Um, are you ever homesick? Are you ever... Um, is it was it a difficult decision for you to make? Oh my gosh, no, no. I mean, well, it was only three months, and yes, it was. I think it was a week or two weeks after I had graduated high school. I'd never even been. I'd never been out of the country. I'm not sure I'd ever even been on a plane. Um, <laughs> and you know, our first flight was um, Travis Air Force Base to uh, Yokohama, <laughs> and, uh, um, but. It was, you know, it was a it was a life changing experience in that I was an eighteen year old, you know, suburban high school student who had no idea whose parents never had a, a newspaper in the house. I mean, whether they read it at at the office or out of the house, but I had no idea. I knew nothing about anything that was happening in the world, and to you know, to be over there. And I mean, one of our shows was right on the DMZ on the night that the, um, the 10 year, uh, peace treaty with Korea, uh, came, you know, it was the 10, 10 year anniversary and the North Koreans shot and killed three of the fellas that had been at our show. They were waiting under a bridge that we all crossed over to go back to our billets. And, it was just like people are people are killing each other in the world. I mean, I I knew nothing. I knew nothing, and um, it. I think it. I mean, it certainly gave me a 
maybe a, a, a love or a, an understanding or a, an acceptance of everyone in the world, I think, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Adrian, makes, it's one of those educators these days so much more difficult. Yeah. You know, it's one of those educations you can only get by experiencing it. Right. So if you, if you read about what happened in that situation in a, in a textbook or in a college class, or it it wouldn't come across as much as actually living it. Right. So it's like the most important type of education, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that, that's really, that's a great point. Um, let me ask you this. So I I always love hearing, um, actors, um, non-acting jobs and, um, I, I couldn't help but laugh. I, I, every time I read this, I laugh. And you know, in your in your filmmaking career, which we'll get to in a moment, um, many um, dealing with like you know horror movies as far as snakes and tarantulas and all this stuff. And I know one thing you absolutely despise is, is cockroaches. And, and I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the irony of um, the fact that you were an office manager in a termite control business. Granted, termites are not cockroaches, but I feel the irony is very thick in that situation. <laughs> well, termites are not cockroaches, <laughs> and it's really it's just cockroaches and what we. What some people call potato bugs, I guess, but I think they're really Jerusalem crickets is, is the term for them. Okay. You know, the ones that look like baby dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, God. Those two. Water bugs. <laughs> um, but termites don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And not much else does. No, I mean, I can't, uh, you <laughs> not- know, I don't. I don't necessarily want to have to eat some of those things, <laughs> but uh, I don't mind working with them. Yeah, and you know, I've been dying to ask you all day, right? So, so you have a, a loyal fan base. I mean, not only from movies you've done past and TV you've done past, but certainly what you're doing now. People just adore you; they love you. And one of the terms that's thrown out throughout the course of your life has been the term "sex symbol." You know, and, and I started thinking about that because it's not really used anymore, right? I don't know if it's maybe politically incorrect, maybe it's chauvinistic. I, I don't know. Maybe it's it's just inappropriate. But I know when it was used when I was younger and, and people said it, it was certainly meant to be complimentary, right? But I also feel like in your case, it was it, it applied to looks, it applied to talent, it applied to attitude, it applied to demeanor, it applied to all that stuff. How do you view the term sex symbol, right? Is it is it am I on target with 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 my what I just said, or am I just am I, am I off putting with that? Well, um, I think when I was you know beginning my career, my I mean my idea of a sex symbol was Raquel Welsh or someone who who used their physical attributes uh, in in terms of the roles that they were doing. I mean. I never did a, <laughs> I never did a love a love scene mm. until I worked with the Swamp Thing, you know. <laughs> and then I, the, the next one that I can remember is probably when I did Carnival and I was in my fifties. Mm. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I certainly never, I never thought of myself that way. No, that, I mean, and that makes sense, certainly, um, because, I mean, it, it's it's a term that's thrown out a lot, but it's, you know, I, I was just curious to get your point of view, and that's a, and that's a great answer. Um, you know, one, one of my favorite moments of, of your career, and I don't know that I hear this a lot in interviews that you've you've done, but, but I really love it. Um, it was your, I want to say it was your first appearance on Carson. I don't know what Johnny was expecting. I don't know if he thought you were this, like, 
green, fresh, like ripe person that was ready for whatever. But your appearance and the way you handled yourself was, it's one of my favorite moments of your career. The way you just went on there, you were so confident, you were so positive, and you were just so honest and funny. Um, is that a monumental moment in your life? Do you view that as a, <laughs> as a huge moment? I, I, it was probably monumental in that I was probably, you know, scared stiff. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's the one where I had to, where I sang for the first time, uh, which was just, a, 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 you know, a, an incredibly nerve-wracking experience for me. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't... He was, really he was harping, Adrian, he was harping on your age, like how young you were, this and that. And you said, you know, I, I, I think you might have said something, I, I'm misquoting here, but something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't, you know, I date older men or I've dated older, something like that. And it was just, your confidence was just, I mean, people get so nervous on talk shows that, that I've seen throughout the years, but you were just... You did not let that get to you. I mean, and if you did, you certainly hit it really well. Oh, that's so interesting to hear <laughs> to hear your response to that. I <laughs> I think I have seen it once in the last couple of years, and I sort of cringed. <laughs> I thought, who is that? <laughs> you know, but um, I, I think it was probably I was telling the story about the man that I dated who led me to believe for three months that he was Philip Roth. Okay, yes, yes. I think that might have been it. That's it, I think, yes, and, yes. And uh, and Johnny said something like, well, what did, why did he do that, or what did he expect to to gain from that or get? You know? and, I, and I said, my virginity, I suppose. <laughs> that's which, it, that's it, yeah, that's which, it. I don't know, I, 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 I <laughs> I watching those now. I just um, <laughs> it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but, but but you know what? But you know what, Adrian? What people won't realize is that you know right now everyone has a talk show and, and and clearly everyone has a podcast. But like it's Carson was when you were on that was really it. Like that. I mean, there were other talk shows, other guys that did it well. But there was only one Johnny Carson, and I just thought, and, and again, I'm not trying to be over, you know, I'm not going to smother you with, with comments, but but I just really felt that for you to be in that position, in that stage, and to handle yourself the way you did, it was just, it was just a real, I just loved watching it. It was, it was really great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. It was, um, Johnny's show was the most difficult of all of them, just for the reason you said, because the... You know, the, the the attitude backstage even was like, we are the best, and you'd better be this and this and this and this, where as if you went on uh, uh, on Merv, you know, it was just, oh, this is going to be great fun because Merv just loves to gossip, and, and he's such a sweet guy, and it's just fun. and uh, Or Mike Douglas, which I co-hosted at least one week, I think maybe more. And Mike, of course, was always so much... I mean, right away it was fun because I got to fly to Philadelphia, <laughs> and um, and, uh, uh, and he again he was just, it was so easy and casual. But there was you know there was a lot of pressure to 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 come through you know on Johnny's show whatever that meant. I think they realized early on that I I could carry on a conversation with almost anybody, mm -hmm. uh, 
again, I probably get that from my mom. <laughs> and, um, and so they ended up, you know, they oftentimes would put me with a co-host, uh, which I also enjoyed. I mean, I worked with some, some great fun people and, uh, but it was always, oh, we got to do the Tonight Show. That's, uh, that's you know, there's a little bit of anxiety there. No, and, and what you're saying rings very true because comedians would, when they went on Johnny, would compare, you know, how long Johnny had them on, whether he invited to, invited them to the couch afterwards. Like, it was a big deal. Like, it was like if Carson didn't invite you over to the couch and you were a comedian, that was not good. Like, that's how that's he... That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's, it's a huge moment. So I, I, I just love watching that. Uh, talk a little bit about um, your work in Greece because, you know, Tony Award, uh, just a phenomenal um, a role for you. Um, and I know you've answered this millions of times, but but truthfully, it's if I was to, you know, comprise a, a, a foundation of your career, I got to believe Greece would be right there for you, right? It certainly was, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've just finished uh, co-authoring a book about the show, which is a collection of stories from more than a hundred actors and crew and musicians and uh, creative people who worked on the original Broadway show and then on the uh, the national companies that went out right after that. Uh, many recognizable names from Travolta to Mary Lou Henner to Barry Bostwick and everything. And um, we we collated uh, stories from all of them about their audition experience, about the rehearsal, about being on the road, uh, being fired. I mean, some of them were are hysterically funny. Some of them are very touching. And because this is the 50th anniversary of Greece's opening off Broadway, uh, we are releasing, it's going to be released uh, June 7th. Uh, and some of the money from the sale of the book will go to the Actors Fund. Nice. So uh, Greece has, it is still has... It, it had an impact on my life in so many ways because five of my closest friends are from the original Broadway company of Greece. And uh, uh, so, you know, we've all been together for 50 years. And, um, but it also brought me to the attention of Norman Lear, who was looking to replace the actress that they had used in the pilot for the series Maud mm-hmm. and um, and Norman ended up hiring me primarily because he had heard about Greece and his casting director came to see it and that led to an audition and um, and so Greece led to Maud and then Maud led to everything else. Yeah, and people sometimes forget how great Maud was and that it was indeed a spin-off of All in the Family which is quite possibly the greatest show in television history for a variety of reasons. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I know you've answered questions about B all the time. You know, she played Edith's cousin who's, who's, a, who's, who's, in, who's left and feminist. And, you know, th- this is the way they d- described her in the show, but, you know, always drove Archie insane. Um, what was it about B? I mean, and, and there's probably, we could have an interview for five hours and you could tell me all the things you loved about B. But if you had to narrow it down to one or two, um, 
what do you think you'd say you love most about her? Her unfailing givingness mm. as an actress. Mm. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, yeah, that that's one. Certainly her professionalism, but that's that's sort of dry. But from a loving point of view, um, that she cared she cared more about the project than she did about herself, and she was committed to doing everything that would just make the show the best that it could be, whether that meant. You know, giving somebody else the comedy lines or mm-hmm. a, what, anything, anything. She was so giving. And, and I almost feel like if I asked you the same question about Norman Lear, the answer would be close because I feel like they were the same in, in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. I, I still remember, you know, sitting in the room early on in the rehearsal room and all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh. I've never met a genius before. This man <laughs> is a genius. And it was really like, you know, it was a different thing, whatever a genius was. There was he was sitting at the head of the table. Norman was, again, so open to receiving notes and information and, and direction and, and, you know, and he always knew what, to do to make it again to make it the best. He didn't always write the funniest jokes or or write the funniest stories or anything, but he knew how to get them from other people and make them work. And he knew when they were funny. Um, he, he was a genius. He is still. He is a genius. Yeah, he's been doing it for a long time and doing it better than almost everybody. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the point where you, you were kind of like you're clearly always been a professional and the way you handle yourself is, is clearly well known. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of, okay, I'm around genius. And I've kind of heard a a similar thing you've said, not necessarily in the same, you know, vein, but you know, when you worked with Roger Moore in, in the cannibal run, you said, you know, you were kind of starstruck because this is a guy that you, you admire. And, and, and I've had other actors say kind of the same things about different people they've worked with. Has there ever been another moment outside of Roger Moore, um, Adrian, where you've been really, I don't want to say starstruck, but like taken back that you're actually, cause you've been around, I mean, obviously those who know your filmography, I mean, you've always worked with the best of the best and still are. Um, but have, have you ever come to a point where there's been a similar reaction to say like a Roger Moore or a Norman Lear, where you're just blown away by the talent in front of you? You know, I, the first thing that comes to my mind and it's not quite the answer to your question, but when I was doing Fiddler, which was my first Broadway show, Mm -hmm. and I was playing one of the daughters, um, word went out that Kate Catherine Hepburn was in the audience, and I said to Harry Gauze, who was playing Tevye, I mean, I was a a nervous wreck. I mean, Catherine Hepburn was in the audience. (laughs) Kate Hepburn was in the audience. And he said, what do you make, what does that make you nervous? She can't give you a job. <laughs> I always remember that. But it was like, oh my God, you know, this, this incredible being was going to be sitting out there watching me and, and judging me, I'm sure, you know. Um, so that's, I remember that. 
In terms of people I've worked with, have I ever, besides Roger, I can't. I would say the Catherine Hepburn. Well, I did. I did a. Um, I did a uh, an HBO film with Dennis Hopper playing Dennis's wife, and I'm sure there was a little. Uh, oh gosh, you know, am I going to be? <laughs> am I going to be good enough on that one? Um, but other than that. I can't, I don't remember. <laughs> but, but but those are great answers, and I'm so happy you brought up the Catherine Hepburn moment, because that's absolutely on par with what I asked you, because, I mean, my God, she's she's an icon, she's a legend, you know, and it's like, knowing that a legend is watching you, I would say that yes. absolutely, I would say that qualifies, yes. I would say that qualifies. Yes. You yes. know? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and just hopping around a little bit here, I have a few more questions. Thank you for all this time. You're so kind. Um, sure. Yeah, the Cannonball Run, Swamp Thing, um, two phenomenal films. Um, and, and your experiences have, were different on each, right? So I feel like, and, and I heard you say this interview, and I, and I swear to God, hand to God, I, I when I watch this movie, The Cannonball Run, over and over again, I own it, I love it. I've always said over the years, I said, at the end of the movie, I'm like, hmm, everyone's smiling and joyous. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Adrian doesn't look too thrilled with this. Like, I just, I've always said that. I'm like, hmm, there's something, she doesn't look too happy. And I heard you say it in an interview, and I almost jumped through the ceiling because I've been saying it for years. So whatever you want to add to that, go ahead. Whatever you don't want to add to that, it's all up to you. (laughs) Well, I added a lot in my memoir. There's an entire chapter about Cannonball Run. There is. Uh, and, I mean, it, it, for me, I mean, I, again, I, I hadn't done many films. It was the beginning of my film career, at least. And um, I was intent upon being a good actress, you know, or, right. or, or, or you know, Acting well and and doing a character, and everybody else was sort of like, "Oh, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we say. The audience is going to love us. We're just going to screw around and uh, you know and you know sort of do chemicals off screen and uh, and and uh, you know they'll all think it's fun and and so I was just sort of out of my element and because. Because I wanted to act, <laughs> and I'd, I'd never worked in a in a situation like that where people were ad libbing, or you know, there was it was just more of a let's all just go have fun, and the audience will love it. And the audience did turn out loving it, but as you can see in my face <laughs> or on my face in in that in the outtakes or the credits or whatever they are. I mean, when, you know, I love Dom dearly. Dom was just uh, a lovely, lovely man, and he he gave me some incredible acting advice at one point when I was doing um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Marty Sheen Mm. down Mm. at Burt's Theater, and Burt was directing, and uh, I was having difficulty with something, and Dom, Dom just hit it on the head and told me exactly what, you know, what to do, and... um, and and I guess that was after Cannonball Run. I'm not sure. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was before. But, you know, seeing him, seeing Bert smack Dom around just wasn't my kind of humor. Mm. So mm. we'll leave it. 
Plus the movie, we had some, we had, you know, a terrible tragedy on the film. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and so it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Except for working with Roger Moore. And of course I love Dean, you know. Yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Dom and, uh, everybody was lovely, but it wasn't my favorite. You know, Those are my favorite. You know, from, from look, obviously you, you you're on the inside. You're 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 just so great at your craft. You know, Dom always seems like one of those people, Adrian, and everything he's in, that he's the same wonderful person on screen that he is off. Like he's one of those. Yeah. Yes, and I'm so happy to yeah. hear you say that. It, it, like, I, I was conversing with his son earlier, and I'll keep that private. But like, it's um, it's just the way he approaches things, the way he just treats people, and to hear you to hear you say how he treated you, it just it does my heart good. Oh yeah. He was, he was, yeah, he was a mensch. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the one thing about Swamp Thing that confuses me is, is, you know, a lot of cuts on this, you know, Wes Craven, obviously you've worked with, with many geniuses, uh, Wes Craven. Um, usually when a studio gets involved and they start chopping things up, it ends up just being terrible. You know, this is one of the exceptions I can't find anything like, right? The studio got in here, chopped this up, but people, I, including myself, love it to death. Like we, we just love the swamp thing. So it's kind of a um anomaly in that way, right? Because usually when the studio gets involved and starts making cuts, the movie is just, you know, and I and I realize that I've heard you say on many occasions, you know, it could to, 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 I'm summarizing that it could have been so much, you know, more than, you know, and people loved what it was. So it's kind of a weird movie in that way, Adrian, right? I think if you if you never had seen the original screenplay, if you'd never read the original screenplay, uh, and 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 didn't know what it started out to be, um, and and you're coming to it cold and and just seeing the film, I mean, people loved it. But I always felt that Wes had a silk purse, which he had created with the screenplay, and. When the studio got finished with the budget and with forcing him to make the changes that he had to make, even before we filmed, I mean, he had to throw out entire scenes and eliminate characters because they just wouldn't give him the money, that he, they had a sow's ear, and then he turned around and turned it back into a silk purse. Mm. So mm. Uh, it, it was a real tribute to him because it was... Uh, you've probably heard me say this in some interview. You know, we showed up on the set one day and there was no makeup trailer because they hadn't paid the bills. Jesus. <laughs> you know? Jesus. It, was a, it was a rough shoot and very rough on him. But And, and I feel he, like, Adrian, the way you looked in that movie, like there's certain things. It's weird how, how I remember things. You know, I, I associate movies to as I was getting older and growing up, I kind of piece things together. I just thought you're looking at movie. I mean, in every movie, it's stunning, but that movie just sticks with me. I always just remember your performance in that, how, how just stunning you you were then and are now. Like that movie, just for me, for a lot of reasons, is is one of my all time favorites. Not just because we're conversing now, but um, honestly, truthfully, one of the one of the best movies and, and movies that I, I truly adore. Well, thank you, thank you. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I look at it and I see, you know, the cheap costumes that were bought at Woolworths <laughs> and, uh, and the, the ugly hair and things like that. But, but it's but who am I to say? Listen, I you know when 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 Wes first showed it to me, I thought, oh my god, 
you know, I don't know if I can even uh, promote this. I mean, you know, it's it's what I knew it could have been and what it was. And, and then Ebert and Siskel come out and say, you know, it's this undiscovered gem. And I'm thinking, well, who am I? What do I know? While we were shooting Swamp Thing, we were invited to a screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, I walked out of the theater thinking, well... Um, uh, I guess somebody will like it. I mean, <laughs> I'm not the person to ask. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting home watching uh, <laughs> Swedish uh, murder mystery detective series on <laughs> MHZ Choice. You know, don't ask me about. <laughs> I'm not a critic. You, you know, I, I can be a critic when I have to be, but <laughs> you don't want. I don't think you want to rely on me. And, and that's another thing that I read was an interview with you and. Um, Roger Ebert. I don't. I don't I, I'm guessing that was done with the two of you speaking with each other, and I hope I'm correct on that. Um, but but boy, do I, I miss him a lot, Adrian. I miss him. I feel like critics today make it about themselves many times. They don't make it about what the actors are doing or the directors are doing. It's all about what my opinion is, what my, what I think. What, what you know. I felt like Ebert was one of the people that really told you about what the movie was about. He, he, you listened to him and made your decision. And I only say, I only say this because you brought it up. I just, I don't know. I, I really, I really adore um, Ebert and, and, and I, and I miss him a lot. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, what, two, two last questions for you. One of which is um, the fog, which might be one of the most beautiful movies, you know, certainly shot in the eighties and maybe all time. It's just, it just looks gorgeous. It's just a beautiful, stunning film. And, and maybe it's because of your character that I'm into podcasting now. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you um, that um, it's, it, I'm sure it's one of your favorites. But um, talk a little bit about The Fog and, and, and how, how you view that. For those listening who may have not heard you say this before, um, your thoughts on The Fog and, and how that memory sits with you, Adrian. Well, there's so many all you know, positive, loving memories. But I think one of the reasons you respond to it and you say it was a beautiful film, aside from uh, Dean Cundy's cinematography, um, was that uh, John chose one of the most beautiful parts of the nation to film in. Mm. And Mm. um, I remember I was up in Canada doing a miniseries. I was stuck in a... (laughs) Uh, what do you call it, a ski resort that was closed. I had just landed. Um, there was no food. There was nothing. There was a one of those, you know, a, a, a food dispensary, one of those little, you know, snack, a snack dispensary right, machine. Right. I got some peanut butter crackers. And, uh, <laughs> and, and John, who had been scouting locations. I think he started it in Southern California or even farther south and was going up the coast, called and he said, well, I think he said, I found the place that I want to die in. I mean, this, it is so gorgeous here. And that's Point Reyes and the Point Reyes Lighthouse and the Point Reyes National Seashore and the town of Inverness. Both of which I don't believe have changed very much I haven't been there for a while, but the last time I was up there, it you could have shot the film and uh, not much had changed. But so I think that the location of the film is almost a character or it's, and is certainly as important to the 
beauty of the film or the success of the film or the enjoyment of the film as as we were, as the actors were. So that's one thing. And then, of course... It, you know, we were a, we were a family. I mean, everybody had worked together before, or socialized together before. We all it was it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience, and and I loved the character. And um, so, yes, the fog is has a, a very strong place in my heart. I have a I have a fan brought me a a, photo, a beautiful photograph of the lighthouse taken on sort of a foggy day and I've got that framed. Uh, I don't keep too many things, but I do have that one. Uh, any other Stephen King movies that you so so for me if 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 we if this was a video interview you would see I have a Shawshank Redemption poster, I have a Green Mile poster. Any other Stephen King adaptions that you're fond of? Oh, Derek, I don't, I don't like horror films. (laughs) I don't go to see horror films. I don't know if I've ever seen, well, I did just see the Firestarter because I narrated it for uh, visually impaired, the visually impaired. Oh, nice. And I also, I also wanted to see it because my son is one of the, the composers along with John Carpenter. And, um, and so I, I did just see Firestarter, but I don't. I don't know if I've any ever seen any other no, Stephen King. That's a great film. answer. Like uh, to, to to yeah, and I've heard you talk about your work, and that's fantastic. You know, um, one of the things I was going to ask you was, um, you know, the, those of you, those that are listening that may not know this. I mean, many obviously most people do that. You were married to John Carpenter. Is it you know in twenty twenty two? It's it's very difficult to have two people that are you know you as a an elite actress, John as an elite director. You know if if this relationship took place in twenty twenty two, you'd never have your privacy. Was it like that when you were married? Was it a difficult thing to be in? Not necessarily from a personal point of view, but from being in, from the public and in the press, an intrusive point of view. Is it a difficult thing to be in in that regard, Adrian? No, you know, it really wasn't. And maybe that's because uh, John is a, a fairly private person. Right. And um, and maybe it's because, you know, we didn't have social media in those mm, days. Mm, mm, uh, mm. I mean, I don't know if, if People Magazine was even out in those <laughs> days. You know, it was there was photo play, because <laughs> I remember I, uh, I think I hosted uh, the photo play awards one year. But no, it was, but we didn't... Uh, we didn't, you know, our friends were, we weren't industry people, really. I mean, right. we weren't going out to all of those things and, and doing all of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, I don't I don't know, but I don't think that John is even a member of the Academy, and I'm not. I've never joined the Academy. Uh, so, no, it, it wasn't, I never felt it intrusive. It was, I could see it being intrusive. There was a very short period of time when I dated Burt Reynolds. And, I mean, I remember being on location with him and and, uh, being in a house that he was renting and he was off working. And all of a sudden I was faced with two women who just walked in the kitchen door because they wanted to see Burt Reynolds. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Or, you know, trying to get off of stage or something when people were just, you know, surrounding him and hounding him and all of that. But for John and, and myself, I don't, I don't remember it being 
intrusive. And Cody's your son, who's immensely talented musically, correct? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 done some nice things, and he he really is. You know, we talk about under the rate. Like my, my podcast, I try to bring up people that are very like underrated. Like he is really talented. He is incredibly talented. He has his own music, and then of course he's been working with his dad and Daniel Davies. Uh, you know, they scored the all three of the Halloweens, mm. and they just scored mm. Firestarter. And a couple of years ago, they went on an international tour with uh, John Carpenter's uh, Lost Themes, the Lost Themes concert, and um, but he's incredibly talented on his own. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, yeah. Yeah. And on, on top of that, I mean, that's sort of his avocation, his love. But Cody is a, uh, he's a Japanese linguist. Wow. Uh, he, is, he is a brilliant Japanese linguist. He, he works as an interpreter. He works as a, a translator. Uh, he teaches. He, uh, He's, uh, and that's not an easy language. No, no. You. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned you mentioned earlier that you were you were trying to read up on a little bit of you were learning Japanese, right? Earlier in the interview, you said that I have been studying Japanese off and on for <laughs> I can't huh. tell you how many years because you know because and and as soon as as the country opens up, I mean Cody will go back there to live. He has lived there whenever he can. And, wow. And unfortunately, was here when the, when the pandemic started, and uh, and and also was was here working with his dad and everything. But he will. So you know, there's a part of me that thinks, well, you know, I better learn how to speak this language so I can go visit my son. <laughs> wow, you you are you are one proud mama. I'll tell you that. My my last question is this, and and, and Cody, uh, amazing person. Um, one of the movies I wish people would bring up to you more. I mean, I know it's not an epic part. I know the screen time isn't enormous. I get that. But it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It brings a smile to my face. Um, you know, uh, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh. <laughs> one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It's one of my all-time favorites. Whatever you want to say about that, Adrian, and Rodney Dangerfield. Just a really funny, silly movie that brings a lot of happiness to people. Yes. Which is what Rodney was, <laughs> you know. Yes, just a really funny—I wouldn't say silly, but really funny—loving <laughs> man who brought a lot of happiness to people. Um, <laughs> it was great fun. It was great fun. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I remember that sort of tickled me the most was the first day I showed up on the set, and there was this whole line of women going down the block standing outside a trailer and I said to the AD, the assistant director, I said, what's going on? He said, oh, that's, that's Rodney's trailer. He's a sex symbol, you know. They're all here to, they all want to see him. They all want hoping they're going to get a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and I would never have thought that Rod, you know, I wasn't high on my list of of uh, labels for Rodney. but <laughs> When you look back at that movie, that's one that, I mean, I know you have so much in your filmography. It's, it's easy for me to nitpick and say, you know, because of what it means to me, but um, you must have great memories of, of, of that movie and working with Rodney. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
and, and, and you strike me, lastly, uh, Adrian, as somebody that when they go to horror cons or comic cons, that and I've heard this said about you that you're just so kind to your fans, you're so good to people. Uh, you strike me from our interview. You strike me that way. And do you love meeting people that you know you know love your work and 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 coming across people that you know your I mean, this is going to sound. I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I do. I mean, I, I and and again, maybe this came from my mom. I was thinking about this today as I was walking the dogs and. I, I walked past someone and and I, I just I said hello and I had a smile on my face and and then I thought you know my mother always had a smile on her face when she met people and I just I enjoy it it's very gratifying uh, you know especially at this age to to meet the fans and have them say. Oh my gosh! I you know I I watch the fog once a month, or uh, you know I loved you in this, or I loved you in that, or some of the odder ones, you know, um, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, or uh, <laughs> um, it, it's uh, and I and I'm interested in people, so it's it's interesting for me to 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 talk to them and find out about them and why are they there and you know how did they. You're kidding! You let your five-year-old is watching Carnival, you know. And, uh, I mean, it's it's just I. Uh, I mean, that's what we do as actors is we're observing other people and and. Uh, American Horror Stories too. Great, great show. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 joy of that one was getting to work with John Carroll Lynch, who I had worked with in a, on a musical uh, a musical presentation back in New York. Um, uh, and he's what a lovely man he is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great job. It's a great thing to do when it works and you, you know, I've been, I've had, I just have had a wonderful time doing what I do. Adrian, he might be the most underrated actor on the planet. John Carroll. John Carroll Lynch. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have. I have to tell you. Earlier, we brought up my daughter, and I have to say, when I when she's old enough to to watch your movies and and and, and watch your work, you know, I, I've always associated your work with uh, somebody who's a badass and smart and beautiful and a fighter and an independent thinker. I hope my daughter ends up being all those things, and and I really love your work, and I and I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much. That's so nice of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one plug, and that's gonna be for my son Cody. Please, Carpenter. absolutely. Because if they look for him as Cody Carpenter, they might not find him. But on Instagram, they will they will find him under Ludrium L U D R I U M. That's uh, that's what I think. That's how he releases his albums and things. I. Uh, <laughs> You know, as time has gone gone on, and it's all technical, technological, and uh, social media, I, I'm always like, "Oh, now wait a minute, Which, <laughs> what name is this, and what name is that, and where are we going?" But yeah, he's but they can find he's a Cody ta- Carpenter under he, Ludrium. He is he is a talent, and um, Adrian, I wish you nothing but the best, and uh, thank you so much for giving me your time today. Thank you, Adrian. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, take care of yourself. And you know what? Yeah. Thank you for asking questions that I haven't been asked before. Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available, www.mmcpodcast.com.